from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you, familia. And uh, our telephone number, if you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, feel free, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, today I want to talk about a bunch of crazy things that I have uh, was talking about earlier today. Earlier today, I... Um, was uh, doing some commentary on Newsmax TV, and some of the stories were just off the wall. They kind of let their hair down, just like I do, uh, on Fridays, and it was crazy. One of the stories that we discussed earlier was how the Seattle police arrested a burglary suspect, but when they found him, he was chugging gasoline out of a red plastic gas canister. And, I mean, th- the whole thing is caught on the police body cam video, and I have a clip of it in my uh, Instagram if you want to take a look at it. But, man, it is crazy. I mean, you see these cops come in and they get a call from a 17-year-old girl who's home alone. And she says she hears noise. She thinks someone's in the house. She saw a man with a wooden stick trying to get in. She calls the cops. She hides somewhere upstairs. So the cops, they make entry to the house. They bust down the door. Uh, They tell the girl, I guess 911 tells the girl, stay hiding. They clear the house. They get to the garage and they see somebody inside the parked car inside the garage. Now, this is crazy. Um, because it's just surreal to watch. This guy is sitting inside the parked car in the garage chugging gasoline out of a canister. Now, I don't know if something else is in this canister, but he is downing it. And then when he when they come, he's like, no, 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 I don't want any cops. I don't want any cops. <laughs> and they're like, open the door or we're going to bust a window. Open the door, open the door. And he doesn't open the door. So they used this really cool center punch device that they had, and they, they shatter the window. And what does he do? He goes for another swig of the, uh, of the gasoline. Glug, 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 glug. And, and then they, they, they try to grab it. Now, at first, when you're watching the video, it looks like he might be trying to douse himself with gasoline to maybe set himself on fire so he can't be taken alive. But that's not it. He's literally drinking out of this thing. They drag him out of the car. They handcuff him. Super bizarre story. And um, the father of the teen called 911 around 1130 in the morning to report that his daughter alerted him about a a man with a wooden stick trying to bring it to the home. When the cops arrived, she was too afraid to answer the door to let him in. So like I said, they busted down the door. Uh, They heard these loud banging noises coming from the inside of the home. The guy had a hammer in his lap, so I guess he was trying to do something in the car. Who knows? This is just a crazy story, and I'd, I'd love to know what was going through that guy's mind. Because from watching the video, it's just more bizarre. But the um, footage from the body cam on the cop, it shows the suspect refusing to obey the commands and get out of the car. And he just starts chugging this thing again. And he's wiping in his mouth, wiping his mouth. And all I could think of is this guy clearly didn't pay attention to the new guidelines from the USDA. Now, you're thinking, what are the new guidelines? Well, Biden's alcohol czar, he warns that the guidance is now going to be only two beers a week. Now, this is interesting, right? Because 
I didn't even know there were guidelines, but I, I guess there's the guidelines on everything. But Americans could soon be advised to limit themselves to just two drinks a week. Now, this is according to Dr. George Koob. He told this to the Daily Mail that the United States, uh, what is that, drug, whatever, A, USDA? I don't know what that stands for. Department of Agriculture, <laughs> forgive me, it's Friday. And uh, that they're going to revise their alcohol recommendations to uh, match Canada's guidelines. Now, listen, whenever anything is being made in comparison to Canada or Europe, I say, sound the alarm. That's kind of crazy. But uh, the the recommendation has been around um, since the 90s, and they're looking to to update it. And it's different for men and women. Now, it's interesting how with that, there's a, differenti- a differentiation between men and women. They're able to identify a man and identify a woman. But for everything else, it's kind of like, oh, no, it's whatever you feel like that day, right? Yes, of course. Anyway, this guidance is up for review uh, in uh, about a year and a half. And according to Koob, he says, if there's health benefits, I think people will start to reevaluate where we're at. So if alcohol consumption uh, can go in any direction, it should be towards Canada. And that's what Koob, who's the director of the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, said, saying there are, quote, no benefits to physical health from drinking alcohol. Now, there's a million studies out there uh, regarding red wine. There's one that came out of Italy recently, maybe like less than a year ago, that says that if you drink one glass of red wine in Italy, uh, so I guess that's not the same type of red wine that we have here. I think we have a lot more added sulfates. But they, they found that Italians, despite being overweight and eating pasta and all those things, had a lower blood pressure than everybody else in the control group that they studied. So there are some health benefits to red wine, and I think people have heard about that for years. And matter of fact, I, I've started uh, probably about eight or nine months ago doing this one glass a day of, uh, of red wine to see if it works. And on my last doctor's visit, my blood pressure was down. It wasn't really high. It was kind of like borderline, but now it's back in range. So I don't know if I can attribute that to the alcohol or the fact that I laugh when I drink wine, one or the other. But anyway, so um, the Dr. Koob says that most of the benefits people attribute to alcohol, we feel they really have more to do with someone's eating rather than what they're drinking, he explained. So it has to do with the Mediterranean diet, socioeconomic status that makes you able to afford that kind of diet and make your own fresh food and so forth. I don't know if that's entirely true. I don't think everybody in Italy is making their own food. I mean, does everybody in Italy make their own pasta? I don't think so. And again, the study I read said that irrespective of their weight, they were still um, healthier when it came to blood pressure with, um, with red wine. But anyway, this is the new plan. They're saying two beers a week. Two beers a week. And there's also some, um, they chimed in on what it would be like uh, if you drank harder booze like vodka and stuff like that. So I'm going to talk about that a little bit more as we progress through the evening because I think this is a fascinating topic that we can have a lot of fun with. I also want to get into a bunch of stuff. The indoctrination on college campuses continues. That's always out of whack. Now there's a big focus on furthering the agenda to indoctrinate climate activists. So we'll get to that a little bit later. And straight ahead, I want to talk about some Trump and the rest of the news of the day with uh, my buddy Kevin McCullough, who's scheduled to join us, KMC Radio. You might know him. He's uh, been around for a long time, and he's uh, an excellent broadcaster. And then a little bit later on, I want to get into what's going on with small businesses with a small business owner out of New York City who's donating some of his 
profits to helping the families of uh, 9-11 survivors and whatnot, and as well as a couple of other really good causes. So we're going to do all of that, and we're going to talk about all of the hot headlines that you want to talk about because um, there's still a few things in the news, even though the biggest story of the day is the absolute, I don't know, what word do I use? What adjective do we use here? The the most famous mugshot that was seen around the world of El Trompito Donaldus Magnus, the 45th president of these United States, El Presidente. And uh, that, that continues to break the Internet with more memes and more funny posts online. So we're going to talk about that as well. Plus your calls, 833-482-5337, 833-4-Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Just a few minutes ago, Donald Trump, the disgraced ex-president, the frontrunner for the Republican nominee for president, four times indicted, departed his golf club in Bedminster, New Jersey. He's en route to Fulton County, Georgia, via Newark Airport, we believe. He will surrender himself for processing at an overcrowded jail with a reputation for violence and neglect. A jail that is accustomed to holding defendants facing charges up to and including violent crimes where stabbings are frequent. Actually, three people have lost their lives over the last month. That jail is where the disgraced ex-president of these United States is heading right now. Now, that's Nicole Wallace from MSNBC yesterday. And she's literally, you can't see her face, but you could hear it. She was holding back the laughter. She's talking about violent crimes and people getting stabbed and all this stuff. But she was just so giddy about former President Trump being indicted, going, getting mugshot taken and all of that stuff. And it just, it reminds me of how grateful I am to be on the radio, to be able to, to clap back right at the Nicole Wallace's of the world and, and to share my ideas and those of our guests. And I, I want to share something with you that you've heard me talk about many mentors I've had in radio and, and I've had some great ones. However, there was some early inspiration. I got to meet a, a radio talker early on when I was still uh, an administrator in higher ed, and I started doing radio ads at the um, uh, Christian college that I worked for. And this radio talker, you know, like every other radio talker I'd ever met, I would say, hey, how'd you get into this? And he was like, oh, when I was 14, 15, 16, something like that, I uh, started, you know, sweeping up and working in a radio studio. Then I went to college for broadcasting and did some college radio. And then, you know, just you, you, you go with the flow and you go to different markets and you move along. And I, I love the work that he did. I always said, man, I wish I could do something like that. It was really inspirational to me. I just didn't think I could move to Alabama or go here or go to Chicago or work in all these different markets because I was older than your average guy getting into talk radio. But that talker is none other than KMC, Kevin McCullough. He's a nationally syndicated radio host, has been for a long time. He's had a bunch of different shows from drive time to uh, some late night weekend stuff that he does now. And he's got a show on uh, Salem News now. And it's just... Absolutely my pleasure to welcome Kevin McCullough. 
Rich Valdez, I, the day that you welcomed me to your show is a happy day for me because I remember one of those days when you were like, hey, tell me how this works. And I got to like just download for you, like, you know, what it was all about. And you totally like bought into it. And here you are uh, in the overnights across America. And I hope that America appreciates what you're doing because you're fighting a good fight. Thank you, brother. It means a lot. And I, I think it's uh, it, it's so interesting to, to be in a position like this because you do get to, to talk about a lot of things with a lot of different people. And one of those people is you. So I want to jump into this stuff. We heard this clip of Nicole Wallace, and she's you know laughing her butt off, and she's snickering and really holding back, just you know blurting out into laughter. And again, maybe that happens on on the conservative side as well. But it, to me, it just seems so sinister and so vile and and so um, characteristic of the left within the media. What uh, do do you think that ever changes? Do we ever get to a place where? where it's not as polarized as it is, or does it get worse? Wow, that's a, that's a deep question. And I guess the best way I could answer it is to start by saying that I don't think it's ever been as bad as it is now, and I do think it will get worse. Like, that's, that's the problem. Um, what we are facing, Rich, to be very candid with you, and I've written a bazillion columns, and I've done a, you know, a million and two uh, broadcasts. We've never faced the bare-fanged evil that we have in our country the way we have to right now. And the idea that we would take a former president who had a question about the election, and he said, "This doesn't look right." And let me give you some of the uh, some of the categories in which it didn't look right. He hit 18 of the 19 bellwether states. And won them all. Uh, Barack Obama did the same thing. And he won his election. Mm -hmm. Joe Biden got seven. No, no, no. He got one of the 19 bellwethers. Uh, Joe Biden won 400 counties across the country. Think about this for a second. 400 counties out of 3,400 counties across the United States. He won 400 of them. And we're supposed to believe that he beat an incumbent president who was insanely popular and got 11 million more votes in his reelection than he got in his first election. Obama did not get more votes in his second election. He got about 5 million less. Um, Bush got fewer votes in his second election than he got in his first. Clinton got fewer fewer votes in his election than he got in his first. In other words, he broke that trend, and he didn't break it by 100,000 or 200,000 or 600,000 votes. He got 11 million more votes in his follow-up election. And so he's thinking to himself, I improved my standing by 11 million votes. I got 18 of the 19 bellwether counties in states across the country. And I'm supposed to believe that this imbecile who can't stand up half the time, barely can walk across the lawn at the White House without help, beat me in a head-to-head election when there were significant questions about the corruption of his family, connections to China, connections to Russia, and connections to Ukraine, and connections to um, Iran. I'm supposed to believe that he just he just beat us. 
He's not supposed to ask any questions. And if he asks a question, it becomes a criminal charge. I just saw tonight, by the way, mm-hmm. that there is a state, my buddy Mark Davis, talk show host out of Dallas, posted it. But there, there, is a, there is a, um, there's a lawsuit that's been filed because Elon Musk's company, SpaceX, supposedly did not interview enough refugees and asylum seekers in its job placement. So they're now taking SpaceX to court because they, they hired too many Americans in the diversity that they should have had in their employee base. Rich, what has happened to our country when we are jailed, tried, sued, arrested for defending and believing that America and its ideals are the shining light that has been the major reform for the world in the last 200 years? This is why President Trump, and I I am amazed that he is the way he is. This is why he does not get discouraged. He has all of the weight of all of this coming down on him, crashing down on him. The flaming arrows are all shot into his back. He is taking all of the body blows. But he knows that if he doesn't, what happens to America is that we lose everything that she's been. Why is that a crime? Why is that a crime? Your guess is as good as mine. I sit here scratching my head about that every single day. Kevin McCullough, tell me, this this is obviously a um, a tipping point in American history. Do you do you feel in the minute we have left? Do you feel that we can come back from this? That we can right this wrong with a Trump win or anybody that can win that could clean up shop? Or is America doomed in perpetuity? Oh, that is a deep question. Short answer is yes, we can stave it off for a little bit with a Trump win. And we need every American that cares about the country to go out and become an activist, not just a voter, and say, I'm going to take 10 people with me. But there is much bigger, there are much bigger issues that we are facing that last, that outlast the next four years. Folks, we're on with Kevin McCullough. He's the founder of Extreme Media, the host of the Kevin McCullough Show, Radio Night Live. And we're coming right back with him. Uh, If you want to join us, 833-4-VALDEZ is the number. And we're going to talk about this shady indictment. What's going on with that? Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. More to come. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... How to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. strategy is to get a quick trial, get him convicted in jurisdictions that are overwhelmingly anti-Trump, 
and then not worry about it being reversed on appeal because the reversals on appeal will occur after the election. It's clearly a political ploy, especially since the district attorney now says she wants the trial within two months. It's unthinkable. Never in history has there been a trial within two months of a case as complex and difficult as this with so many defendants and so many counts. But what she wants is the mugshot. She's gotten that, the fingerprinting. She would like to get a quick conviction with a biased jury and then not worry about it being reversed on appeal. That's tomorrow's news after the election. That's just unfair. Of course, that is a famed dream team lawyer, Alan Dershowitz. And I have to say, Kevin McCullough, host of The Kevin McCullough Show and Radio Night Live, tell me what your thoughts are on this idea that we're going to have a a full-blown trial on October 23rd, like literally five minutes before the presidential election. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that that's going to happen. I mean, even if it does, uh, I don't think that people will. I'm very convinced that the president's, uh, the former president's supporters are not going to buy into it. Um, What you're going to deal with is, uh, and I, in, I, I talk to lots of lawyers. I have lots of lawyers on my show. Um, you're, you're going to deal with a lot of things that are, she's not going to have a clear path here. There are going to be objections raised. Um, already Mark Meadows is filing, uh, a, a request to move this into a federal jurisdiction, which that alone would take it out of Fannie Willis's hands and be, um, an entirely different, um, animal. Now the judge that they would get would still be an Obama appointee. But you would have to have consideration for the defense to go and do its preparation. And right now, you can't argue that you're going to have time to do all of the things necessary in order to make that uh, work. So I think Professor Dershowitz is right. Uh, Fannie Willis is looking for a quick score. She got the mugshot, though I'm not sure. I mean, you, Rich, you're, you're a social media animal. You're, you're, on, you're all over Instagram and Twitter and uh, Truth Social and the rest. I, I don't know that she's gotten what she wanted out of that uh, mugshot. It looks, I mean, Ben mm-hmm. Shapiro, who is not a Trump supporter, said today, um, this is one of the most iconic photos ever taken. <laughs> so yeah. I don't think that um, she's necessarily, and the memes are rolling in from across the world. Oh, I don't think good. that she necessarily got the, uh, the effect she was hoping for. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I think people... The response that I was getting from people uh, was that they were like, wow, I can't believe this is happening. You know, people were people that don't care about politics or care about what either of us do for a living. Just like friends of mine were were just sending me DMs saying, you know, like, what's going on? This is kind of crazy. And these are people that have historically not enjoyed Trump in any way. This was, I think, uh, a shot to the nervous system for a lot of people saying, man, this is for real. Like, we're literally going after. And here's the reason why that. And here's the reason why that matters. Donald Trump has billions of dollars and can afford attorneys to go and defend him in these situations. And he'll he'll get a reasonable outcome and he'll he'll probably be vindicated on all counts. Mm -hmm. But what does Rich Valdez have in his financial reserves to go and hire the the legal defense that would be necessary to stave off something like this? What does Kevin McCullough have in his reserves? We don't. And if they can do that to a former president who has arguably some of the, the richest of riches on planet Earth, and they can do this to him, why wouldn't they do that to every little 
man and woman working third shift tonight in a factory listening to us on an AM radio. They will, they will squash whoever is in their way to keep from anything interrupting their desire to prove a, a progressive agenda for America. And, and we have to be the ones that say, no, not on our watch. We won't let this happen. I agree with that 100%, Kevin McCullough. Now, KMC, I want to, I know we have a couple of minutes left, but I'm thinking the, the, the gist of this, right, uh, there's people out there saying this is exactly what the Democrats want. They're, they're thirsty. They're dying to have Trump v. whoever it is right now, Biden, but let's say it changes because they feel that Trump is so incredibly beatable. And I guess they have a whole strategy of, you know, using the mugshot, using, you know, the 91 felony counts. And I'm, I've been seeing it all over social media. Do you think that there's gravitas with with that strategy? Let me just point out what's happened since they've been adding the indictments. When Alvin Bragg put his indictment into play, Trump gained three points against independents in the general election polls. When the two federal cases came down, he gained another six points. When Fannie Willis put her place in, he gained another eight points. Right now, he's winning independence by nearly 20 points in some polls, as, as low as 11 points in others. And where is this election going to be decided? By the working men and women who are not politicos who just say, this isn't right. And I think at the end of the day, everything they're doing, fingers crossed, if we have an honest process, will be will be undone. Seems like it's backfiring. Folks, we're on with Kevin McCullough, the uh, founder of Extreme Media, host of the Kevin McCullough Show. Uh, he's uh, a, a pretty good author, too. You should check out his books. And he's got a show called Radio Night Live. Now, Kevin McCullough, let everybody know how they can hear all the different shows that you're doing and how they could keep in touch with you. Well, the best way to reach me is go on any social media and input that Kevin show uh, into the search bar because that is the name of the uh, identity of the new weekend television radio broadcast that we have for anybody all across the planet. Nice. You can get it on Biz TV, you can get it on Salem News Channel, you can get it on 300 plus radio stations across the country. But you can also get it on podcast in video and audio form. And uh, we're having a lot of fun, kind of kind of make fun of some of the headlines week to week because we feel like some of them need to be made fun of. And uh, we hope to have a pretty good time in the process. Folks, check him out. Google him at That Kevin Show. That Kevin Show. What a good name. <laughs> I might steal that one day. That Richie Show. Anyway, KMC, <laughs> I appreciate you, you, brother. You're the man. Thank and you, Senor Valdez. Catch up with you. Keep up the good work. Yes, sir. Godspeed to you, sir. Folks, more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Rich Valdez. 
So President Biden is still getting heat from his Maui trip. Again, it's been all over television, at least the television I've been watching, uh, where he's, you know, falling asleep and everything. And people aren't happy. There's uh, more and more residents speaking out. We played some audio from those residents the other night. But incredible how Joe El Baboso Biden is just failing people. And this was my criticism of him initially, that people, irrespective of your politics, right, irrespective of my politics, and I'm already a critic of Joe El Baboso Biden, but if there were a natural disaster, for example, Hurricane Sandy, I wasn't mad at Governor Christie for hugging Obama. I know a lot of people were, but I wasn't because I understood he needed to get that federal money. And there was a lot of damage. And he was trying to put the state first. So he was trying to buddy up to him and whatever it was. And he was just, it was a genuine, in my opinion, act of kindness. Now, um, you know, he's Italian from Newark, New Jersey. I think that's a, a big hug is kind of how you do things. But all of that aside, I wanted Obama to come and be the president. You know, I wasn't going to say, hey, F you, pal, go back to D.C. Now, uh, if, if he was being a jerk. But he, he came through, and there was money, and they did rebuild New Jersey pretty quickly, I'd say. I think the following summer, everything was back up and running. So my point is when you're in the midst of a natural disaster, you want your president to be a leader, whether you like the guy or not. You just want him to be a leader. And it's same like the people who don't like the police. When they're in trouble, they want those cops to come with their guns drawn and save them. That's just the reality of, of humanity and of real life. However, Biden didn't come across, in my opinion, as being sincere he came across as like being on a stump, trying to get reelected. And I think this is where people took extreme exception. And we have a, a clip of somebody who from who lives in Lahaina, a resident who in Hawaii that says that, you know what, this whole thing is just uh, it's not good. And he had some choice words for Joe El Baboso Biden. Check this out. Today, I haven't had any money come in. I haven't had anybody call me back. I didn't have anything. I have no idea. I lost my house. I lost my car. I lost my animals. I mean, come on, man. We're not getting anything. Till today, I still didn't get my meds. I cannot get my meds yet. My, med my medicine was all burnt in my house. My rent money was all burnt in my house. I have no money anymore. I think Joe Biden should take his $700 and get back on the f***ing plane and go home. That's what I think. Because $700 compared to all the millions he's giving to Ukraine. Why? We need it. That's why we don't understand why. We're citizens and we cannot get money. But if they're not citizens, they get gazillions of dollars from the USA. Where, where are, where's our government? Fix your house before you fix somebody else's. That's extremely well put, and it's exactly what I was saying. That irrespective of your politics, people expect their leaders to be there for them. And listen, I, I don't look at Biden as my leader, but I think in a moment of a natural disaster, if he's coming and he's touring and he's got full command of the federal government at, at his, um, his beck and call, then yeah, you bet. Come on over, Joel Baboso Biden. Let me let me pour you a, a shot of cafecito over here and, you know, make good with you because uh, I need you to come through. Right. We, we've got to get this thing done. Now, I understand her frustration. You know, I'd probably get frustrated, too, and tell him to get back on the effing plane. But it, it's so lamentable to listen to someone go through this. And I just feel, man, you know, I, I'm upset with Biden for just not being empathetic. The uh, what was it the empathizer in chief. 
he's he's letting down Americans in so many ways on inflation, on his alleged criminality, on his vindictive pursuit of Trump. And now just people that were burned out of their homes. Some people are saying it was arson and it got out of hand and whatever. Whatever the case is, take care of the people. Be there for the Americans. This is what your main job is. And, and I think it's a true test. If he doesn't step up, if they don't have a great outcome with Hawaii, this is going to be everybody's campaign ad. They're just going to show that lady on TV and show that as a commercial and the person from the other week and just have people over and over on loop saying what a horrible job Joe El Baboso Biden has done. Now, the White House is now saying, oh, no, no, no. You see, when he said no comment, and that was the other thing, right? They're like, what are you going to do about the, the victims of the wildfires? He's no comment. No comment. Are you kidding me? I even did. This is very bad. The White House now says, well, he didn't hear you. That's why he said no comment. The White House is now changing their tune because of all the backlash of the president responding no comment uh, last week on the fires. So Deputy White House Press Secretary Olivia Dalton told The New York Times on Thursday that Biden, 80 years old, didn't hear the question while stepping into a vehicle during his family vacation in Rehoboth Beach. I mean, talk about being tone deaf and what a bad look that was. Now, again, maybe it's me and my bias against Biden, but I think most people, including that woman who doesn't, um, you know, come across as a, a rabid right winger. She's just an American that's in need of of her government to step up in a, in a time of a natural disaster. And she feels like she's been left out in the cold like so many other Americans, but she feels it so much more because she doesn't have her home. She doesn't have her car. She doesn't have her pets. And now she's saying she doesn't have any money or medication. We have to do better as a country. And that starts with Joe El Baboso Biden. Anyway, your calls and more coming up straight ahead. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. So there is a gentleman by the name of Dr. Umar Johnson, who I think now goes by the name Dr. Umar Ifatunde. And he is, uh, by his um, bio, a certified school psychologist, motivational speaker, pan-Africanist, and doctor of clinical psychology. He, I've heard him over the years. He is always making very, very provocative, incendiary statements. He's a very controversial guy. Whenever he's on somebody's show, they're like, did you hear what Umar Johnson said? And I believe he's changed his name now to Umar Ifatunde. He makes sense sometimes. Other times he doesn't. Uh, again, he believes in pan-Africanism. It's a worldwide movement that aims to encourage and strengthen bonds of solidarity between all indigenous diasporas of African ancestry. And by definition, it kind of excludes those that are not. Right. So he, he's famous for going on television and radio and saying 
um, black men should not marry white women because this dilutes the gene pool of, of Africans and therefore I'm a pan-Africanist. Uh, but he, he makes these really interesting comments at times. And he had one over the, the weekend. I saw it. It was put out there by the Lexit movement on their uh, social media account. And it had to do with how pedophiles and those that are, you know, with the idea of younger people having sex are using the idea of letting young people decide their gender as a gateway to make pedophilia legal. Interesting concept. Listen to this. LGBTQ is the mask the pedophile movement wears to get their agenda pushed. Why do the pedophiles care about lesbians, bisexuals, homosexuals, and transgenders? If I am a pedophile, I don't want to go to jail. I'm a celebrity. I'm famous. Ritualistic sex is what we do with kids. It's part of our demonic culture. I want pedophilia to become normal. I want it stricken from the criminal code altogether. I'm going to push LGBTQ because if a child is old enough to decide I never want to have children, take my testicles, take my ovaries. If an 8, 9, 10, 11-year-old child is old enough to make those three decisions, how can you argue that they're not old enough to decide to have sex? The argument of the pedophile is going to be backed up by this LGBT crusade against our children because in their sick minds, they are rationalizing the argument before the courts. If he's old enough to say, I don't want my testicles, if she's old enough to say, I never want to have children, if he's old enough to say, I want to live my life as a girl, if she's old enough to say, I want to live a life as a boy and I don't care about having kids and she can say this at 12, is she not also old enough to decide when she's ready to have sex? That is going to be the argument that the pedophiles are going to take into court. Boom. Now, that's, uh, again, Dr. Umar Johnson, at Umar Johnson on the social media, identifies now as Dr. Umar Ifatunde. And I can tell you that, again, I, um, this ap- seems to be a logical, a logical argument here. Uh, and it would explain why there has been an LGBT, well, I should say a, a homosexual movement, right, uh, gay, lesbian, queer, for, I don't know, generations, dare I say, and we've never seen it be as volatile as it is now. Right now, we're having the drag queen story hour. And why, why is that? Why do we have drag queens that want to sit in a circle in a library with small children? Is it just to normalize them with that lifestyle and, and make it uh, commonplace? Or is there more to it? And what he's describing is a scary proposition, but one that I think people should um, at least pay some thought to. Because while he says a lot of crazy things, and this is a crazy thing, this one seems like it, 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 it makes sense. And you know the old saying, if the shoe fits, wear it. Anyway, uh, we'll continue that discussion a little bit later on and uh, at the top of hour number three. Uh, straight ahead, we're going to have a discussion on the indoctrination happening at college campuses with our buddy Professor Nick Giordano. You know him from the Tucker Carlson Show and from this show. So don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here. I am Rich Valdez, and we are coming right back. Live 
from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And if you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, feel free to call 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, there's a new piece out uh, by my buddy, Professor Nick Giordano. He's a professor of political science at Suffolk Community College in New York. He's also the host of the PAS Report podcast, and he is the Campus Reform Higher Education Fellow. And uh, it's uh, an op-ed on foxnews.com. And here's the headline. America's schools are becoming training grounds for climate change activists. And these activists are, they've been in training for quite a while. But they haven't been, um, I guess, as active as the the DEI people and all of the rest of the um, communist sympathetic movement that's been afoot on college campuses throughout. However, I feel that there's this might be what they're latching on to now because it's getting so much traction with uh, all of Biden's anti-energy policies. So I want to bring Professor Giordano into the conversation to, to get, you know, for him to walk us through this piece. Professor Nick Giordano, welcome back, sir. Always a pleasure, Rich. How are you tonight? Brother, I'm doing great. It's Friday. I got my I let my hair down tonight. Uh, we're having a good time here. All that hair, it's hard, I know. Yes, sir. We we go to the same barber. <laughs> and yours is a little <laughs> more skilled than mine. And I, I um I, I think this is like I said, I think this has been going on for a while. But every time there's a new calamity, like this this um some are saying arson, others are saying climate change, what's going on in, in Hawaii. It kind of fuels this stuff. And I feel like climate change is one of the better ways to bring people into the fold because to an unsuspecting young person that watches the polar bear video where the, you know, the polar bear is on top of the iceberg and it's melting away, according to them, um, you know, it, it, it tugs at the heartstrings of a lot of people. And people just say, look, you and your gas guzzling SUV are going to destroy this planet for me and my children. And we just want to have a place to live. I don't care about politics. I don't care about capitalism. I don't care about any of that stuff. I just want a nice, healthy planet. And it doesn't mean that if you're a conservative, you can't um, believe in climate change or vice versa. But I feel like it, it's an easy way in. And, and that being said, what are you noticing with the, uh, this trend in training new climate crazies? Well, it's worse than people could imagine out there. I mean, when we look at it, it's not like teaching students to be good stewards of the environment is a bad thing. That's a good thing, right? We, we want people to be good stewards of the environment. However, you have several states that are actually legislating that climate change be taught in every single subject from kindergarten to 12th grade. So we're not just talking about science class. We're talking about math, art, gym social studies, uh, music, and it really shows the totality of their efforts, not to educate, but to indoctrinate students. So 
So I like to point out the New Jersey state standards because they were the ones that actually pushed this forward first. And they state that every climate change lesson must be taught from a climate justice perspective. So that right there tells you that it's a political agenda that's being taught to these children. It's not an educational agenda. We just suffered through two years of learning loss because of COVID lockdowns and keeping schools closed in some areas for up to two years. Our proficiency levels are at all-time lows. We 22% proficient in American civics, 23% proficient in math, 13% proficient in uh, American history, and you have 29% proficient in reading. That's where the school should be focusing. How do we reverse this trend of students not being able to perform at grade level? Instead, they've chosen this climate agenda to latch onto. And just to give you a few examples of how the curriculum works, so in gym class, for instance, physical education, when you look at the standards, climate change is listed four times. The healthy eating habits is only listed twice. Obesity and the obesity epidemic isn't listed at all. The drug epidemic's not listed at all. When you look at something like social studies, you have the, the powers that be that put in the doctrine that climate change, the projects must include planning, proposing advocacy projects to inform others about the impact of climate change. That's not education, that's advocacy. Sure. You're pushing students to go out there and try and influence others to get them to agree to the climate change agenda that's being pushed on them. 100%. And, and of course, this is not by accident, this is by design. And nobody seems to be up in arms about it besides you. Why? Well, there's so many that don't know that this is actually taking place, that this is actually going on, because the, the standards, even though it was passed a year ago, they now go into effect for this current school year that just started. And so there's a lot of people that are unaware about this. But the, the powers that be, the ideologues that have hijacked the education system, what they realize is that climate change is the perpetual crisis, right? Because how can you measure? How can you say, okay, we've achieved success and we don't have to worry about climate change anymore? Well, you can't. So let's create this crisis. Let's scare students. And we know that's going on. I mean, if we look at these statistics, when it comes to how young people feel about climate change, over 50% of those between the ages of 13 to 17 are angry and afraid about climate change. When you look at those between the ages of 18 to 24, over 60% are angry and afraid. And that's the college campuses right there. And they also, you have 33% of those between the ages of 18 to 24 considering not having children because they're scared of climate change and the effects of overpopulation. So this is actually working. I mean, let's face it, the climate change agenda has been pushed down their throats for a while. But now what takes it to a new level is how it's codified in curriculums in every single subject area. That's remarkable. And, and again, it's not like parents have any control where they can join a school board and know what's going on and have say and approval. This is happening in college campuses where, you know, parents, because of the family um, Educational Rights and Privacy Act of 1974, FERPA, uh, parents have no say in what's going on in college. So what's the uh, solution? 
Well, the solution is we have to get the ideologues out of education. So parents need to actually get more involved in the education system. They need to go through their children's homework, talk to their children to see what they're learning at school, go through their textbooks. And even if your children are in college, you could still talk to them and and find out what they're learning about. But more importantly, I mean, we we see the manipulation of, of young minds taking place, and it is a travesty. I mean, I start teaching this week. And the first day of classes, my students will encounter a citizenship exam, of which 86% will fail. And then they're going to encounter, they're going to be given the Russian Constitution. They won't be able to differentiate between the United States and Russian Constitution by 90%. So, so those are the areas that we should actually be focusing on, because we see an agenda that's being pushed on the kids. We're not teaching them about American government. We're not teaching them about the Constitution. We're not teaching them about America's founding and the concepts of limited government. But that's all by design, right? Because if they don't know about government, well, when you bring in this climate change curriculum, what's going to be the solution to fix climate change? Well, it's going to be to give government more power, to empower government to take your gas stoves, to empower government to get rid of plastic straws and implement paper straws that make every drink taste disgusting, by the way. And that's what the real agenda is. They don't teach about American government because if they taught students how to actually think, if they taught students that government may not be the solution for every problem that we face, well, maybe students would actually be able to have a conversation and a discussion and talk about actual policies that may make a difference, but also understand that sometimes government doesn't have the answer. Man, those are some wise words, Professor Nick Giordano. It's uh, almost uh, Reagan-esque, right? Uh, get off my back, out of my pocket. Government isn't uh, the uh, government isn't the answer to the problem. Government is the problem, and I, I wish people would uh, pay more attention to that. I know many in this audience do, and we're preaching to the choir. But I think this is a pivotal moment because if we don't do more now. It's it's a foregone conclusion that this will continue and continue and continue. And on that note, we're going to continue this conversation straight ahead, plus your phone calls, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. America, welcome back. We're on with Professor Nick Giordano. You know him from the Tucker Carlson Show. You've heard him on this program. He's the host of the PAS Report podcast. Make sure you're subscribed to that. And he's a professor of political science at Suffolk County College, in addition to being the higher education fellow for campus reform. And we're talking about climate activism and how aggressive it's become on college campuses where they're not even teaching about climate anymore. They're just teaching you how to become a climate activist. And Professor Nick Giordano, I want to get into a, a little bit uh, broader discussion on foreign policy and, and domestic policy, as I like to pick your brain on these things. And this week we had some pretty big headlines. Uh, we had the 
the uh, debate, right, which has been totally overshadowed by Trump's mugshot. Uh, but I want to get your take on the debate. What was the um, big takeaway for you in the um, debate on uh, earlier this week? Well, I have two very big takeaways. So the, the first takeaway is that Trump won, right? I mean, he didn't even show mm-hmm. up. Nobody laid a glove on him. He ended up getting a, a lot more attention when it comes to uh, Twitter and the interview he did with Tucker Carlson. And the next day, he took the news headlines with the mugshot. So, uh, you know, as far as the debate goes, Trump won the debate, and he wasn't even there. It's truly amazing. But the, the second thing that I really found interesting was a comment that uh, Chris Christie made, your old boss mate. And yeah. it, it was something that I think was really profound because in, in one interaction with Vivek Ramaswamy, he turned to him and said, you've done nothing to I- increase advance the cause the, of this government to, to that, advance the interests of this the, government yes i thought that was remarkable the too. interest of this government and i'm sitting there and i'm listening and i'm like wait did he just say what i think he said and so yeah. i rewound it and he did and and this is the problem that we have in america and this yes. it shows it, it's about politicians and it's both democrats and republicans that think that the most important thing is what's in the government's best interest rather than what's in the people and the country as a whole's mm-hmm. best interest. And I think it showed how out of touch the, the elitist politicians are. And this is why they never understood what led to the rise of Trump in the first place. If they didn't have that attitude in the first place, you would have never have seen a, a President Trump. But it's be, directly because of that attitude that led to so many people following the president. hundred percent. I, I totally remember that quote. It was the most uh, profound thing I saw that night as well was that I said, man, what an interesting about face. And again, I like Chris Christie. I think he's a skilled politician. Um, not my choice for president at this time, but um, worked for the guy. And he was always in the best interest of the people of New Jersey. And when I heard that, I thought, wow, that is so, um, uncharacteristic of him from the Christie that I knew. But I know there was some change after I left. I left the administration in 2011, uh, excuse me, 2013. So uh, I, that stood out like a sore thumb to me. And I thought, my goodness, you know, if, if same, same observation as you, that's exactly why Trump was able to rise to such prominence because he was an outsider and people are tired of this political class of people. And in many ways, I think uh, Christie has a a, uh, a bravado and a a a tough talking uh, rhetoric about himself where he's able to kind of come across a little bit differently than most that are part of that political class. But ultimately, when you make a statement like that, when you, you really let people know, um, you know, they're, they believe in this pedigree of, of government service and whatnot. And I think a lot of people do. But I think most people, you know, me, you, the... I think the people that, you know, go to their corner store or a convenience store to buy a gallon of milk because it ran out before they go back to the supermarket to do their grocery shopping, regular people that are working and and trying to survive, they hear that and it's a real turnoff, right? It's a real turnoff to think, man, you're not looking at me at all. Like, you're not here for me. And I've never believed that politicians have to be here to care about me or to care for me in any way. But I do think you have to be in the interest of the people, Don't, not necessarily me, but in the interest of the people. And that was just such a remarkable line. Uh, now, what, what, you, what was your take with everybody saying that uh, Ramaswamy was uh, the clear winner? 
Well, I don't know if he's, well, like I said, I think Trump was the clear winner, but, yeah. you know, Ramaswamy, he, he performed very well. I mean, listen, he, he's someone that is fascinating. He, he's 37 or 38 years old. He knows the issues. He, he's able to speak to them. And while people criticize that he doesn't have experience, well, I mean, let's look at the people that have experience that have been making foreign policy decisions for the last 30 years in this country. And I'll say the experience may not be that big of an issue that uh, everyone thinks right. it is. But more importantly, you know, you look at that stage and hear much uh, about how they're going to improve the lives of the people or how they're going to strengthen America. It was a lot of the same old talking points that we've heard before. And one of the things that really scientists, not even as a Republican, just as a political scientist, as someone that is worried about the ever-expanding federal government and the power of the bureaucracy, they said hardly anything in regards to the abuses of power and the corruption that we have witnessed, not just during the Trump years, but long before that, with the NSA spying on the American people, the IRS targeting conservative groups, you had the CIA spying on sitting members of the United States Intelligence Committee, Mm -hmm. Then they spied on a sitting president. I mean, there's so many abuses that took place. And, and while everyone's so focused on the former president and the foreign indictments, I'm not concerned with one man. President Trump is a, one person in a moment of time. What I am concerned about is the repeated abuses of powers where the FBI could go to a FISA court, lie, and open up FISA inquiries to the tune of anywhere from 200,000 to 1 million illegal FISA inquiries. That, to me, is much more concerning because the bureaucracy will be here long after a, a President Trump. So when we look at something like that, we see the glaring double standards that exist. And yet you had Republicans fighting against each other harder than they do against Democrats and the corrupt bureaucracy that exists. It, it becomes disheartening after a while. You know, imagine Republicans had this fight against Democrats. Imagine Republicans had the same determination against a federal bureaucracy that has abused its power. Well, we may be able to clean some of the problems up if they had that, but they don't. Instead, they want to attack each other. Well said, Professor Nick Giordano. We're going to have to table our discussion on foreign policy because the clock is ticking. Let everybody know how they can listen to your uh, podcast and find you. Anyone could go to PASReport.com. They can check it out over there and get access to all the podcast platforms. The campusreform.org so you know what's going on, the craziness that's going on on college campuses around the country. You got it. Professor Nick Giordano, thank you as always. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. Folks, we're coming right back. It's me, Rich Valdez. It's America at Night. Don't move a muscle. There's more to come straight ahead. Welcome back. And I want to continue our conversation and go in a different direction. Small business has always been important to me. I was a small business owner very early in life, and I feel like it is the backbone of the American economy. While there's a lot of big box stores and that's become a big part of our day to day, there's the reality that the corner bodega, the the local hardware store, which, um, you know, where I live now in the suburbs of um, northern New Jersey, uh, 
we still have a hardware store in town. And it's very, you know, it's good. So you don't have to go to one of the, like a Home Depot or Lowe's or one of these big box stores. And small business is something I always want to talk about. And there's a small business that's based out of New York City, out of the World Trade Center, the Freedom Tower, and it's called Tower Beverage USA. The CEO uh, is, is a really good guy who donates 15% of his sales to three major foundations. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation, the uh, Fire Department of New York City's Foundation, and the Quell Foundation to help them and with their respective missions. And I want to talk a little bit about the story of power of Tower Beverage and about the CEO and his story a little bit as well as we discuss how they help with these other charities. So uh, welcome to the program, Bill Richards, CEO of Tower Beverage. Thank you, Rich. It's great to be here. My pleasure, Bill. So let's talk a little bit. I know you had a background working with one of the largest um, beverage distributors out there. Tell us a little bit about your background. How'd you end up slinging slinging cans of pop? <laughs> well, yeah, when I was, uh, I mean, I'm 50, going on 59 years old. So when I was 18, I was uh, running a Coca-Cola route. And that's when I started. And uh, I learned the, the ins and outs of the, the retail world, you know, servicing the stores and, and keeping them happy. So it was, uh, it was tough. I mean, it was 3 million cases a year the route was doing. So it was, uh, it was very busy for about 10 years, you know, and uh, a company called Wayne beverage. Um, so you learned the game. Time, so, yeah. Yeah. You learned the game and now you're applying it to, to your own business rather than uh, working with the largest distributor in the area. What what was the uh, I guess the the impetus or the inspiration to say you know I want to start uh, a new beverage company and I want to have this social uh, component to it. Yeah, um, well, you know, um, as the years went on, you know, when when nine eleven came, I was uh, we lost fourteen firefighters in my church up in uh, Warwick, New York, St. Stephen's, and uh, it really affected me. You know, like the whole country in a, in a huge way, but I, I've always wanted to do something in a big way, you know, and, uh, as I started, you know, developing the concept tower beverage and having the office in the freedom tower and getting the permission to use the, the, phone, the, phone the tower on the cans, you know, the beverages, it just, it kind of all fell into place and it, uh, it, it got the attention of, uh, you know, the Fire Department Foundation in New York and Tunnels to Towers, you know, uh, we formed a brand alliance, you know, with Frank Siller and the Fire Department Foundation and the Quell Foundation, Kevin Lynch, who uh, has a great um, organization that helps uh, with the mentally ill, you know, suicide prevention and stuff like that. It's just awesome, you know, an awesome group of people to be involved with. That sounds like a great, uh, several great causes. Now, what does that look like for you now? So you, you, um, you're, you're partnering with them, and they're all doing their respective work. How did you put this coalition together? <laughs> I think it, well, it's, it's God, really. I always give credit to God because it's uh, Amen. It's amazing. You know, yeah, it's like small businesses. Uh, you know, it's tough. I mean, everyone has an entrepreneurial spirit, you know, and uh and I'm going up against, you know, Coke and Pepsi, you know, these big guys. But you know what? It's uh, it's possible to, you know, 
do something big and and sh- like you, what your how your life is with your show and everything. I've seen you know I've been watching you for years and you just keep growing and keep fighting and keep going and that's what we do. The uh, when COVID hit, I just produced my first truck, ten truckloads of soda. You know, so the COVID hit, so the whole country got shut down. So it was it was yeah, really that's kind a of devastating. It was devastating. I mean, I just rented a warehouse. And uh, so I call the fire department foundation and I say, can I help, you know, with beverages? I wasn't, you know, sure if they took products or just money donations. And that's how it started. Um, The vice chairman of the fire department foundation, Robert Zito, you know, got with me and, um, you know, they they donated truckloads of uh, beverages to uh, not all of them, but, you know, a couple of truckloads at least to, uh, the fire department foundation and uh, the teamsters, the theatrical teamsters actually in lo- local eight seventeen, they delivered, they donated all the truck deliveries and they, they, you know, help us get um, cases like 12 cases or something in um, 350 fire stations in the MS and wow. stations throughout the, the whole five boroughs. Yeah. They, everybody got some, you know, so that was a big, um, indicator like a pulse i took a pulse that everybody loved the whole concept you know so then then i proceeded to uh with a test market and then i you know i was asking tunnel to towers to put their logo on the beverage and that you know they're so busy you know the great work that they do frank Siller, their whole the whole sure. team is like amazing they're doing amazing work you know building homes for our fallen and and uh it was just amazing. I mean, it took it took about two years to get their attention and get the agreement signed, but they they did it, and it's uh, it's exciting mm-hmm. because we we have a chance to really make a difference in a big way in people's lives, you know, and get into some big chain stores now, you know, that want to help. Now it's, it sounds like a real, you know? um, not only just the American dream uh, personified through your work, but it's also. Um, uh, just a, a wonderful story of taking, you know, what was a major setback and turning it into a blessing when you weren't able to distribute anything because everything was shut down due to COVID and you kind of turned to the community and built some really good relationships. Folks, we're on with Bill Richards. He's the CEO, founder and uh, owner of Tower Beverage USA. I got to tell you, I had an event in New York City, uh, previous radio station, WABC, and it was um, a town hall event we did called Latinos for Liberty. And uh, it was just a, a big, ca- kind of like what we do on open phones, honestly, but it live and in person in, in the radio station, 17 floors above Madison Square Garden. And one of the um, donations we got was from Tower Beverage, and these were great. I can tell you there's there was like a sparkling water beverage. Um, it didn't have any sugar added or anything like that, but it had some natural flavors. I think I picked the watermelon, which was my favorite. And it was uh, it was a big hit. Everybody enjoyed it, and that's how I got to know Bill Richards, and uh, I'll, I'll never forget uh, how good that watermelon beverage was. <laughs> so, how are you distributing all those drinks now? Are you in more stores? What's their footprint looking like? Well, now, uh, basically, the whole setback with you know COVID, we uh, it was basically like a test market. So, we did almost seven hundred thousand in sales in about twelve states, from New York to Florida. Like a you know a test market with refrigerators installed in stores and uh it went very well but i i had to i had to like regroup so we uh now we're 
you know, pooling the waters together to launch, hopefully, right right around September 11th, you know, and we're going to launch back into the same states, you know, basically from New York to Florida. It's about six or seven states, but we're going to stay on the East Coast, you know, because of the economy with the fuel cost and all that. Sure. But uh, it's, it's geared, it's really, it's going to go into a lot of C stores and chain stores. There's, uh, I don't want to mention names because... We're, sure. we're trying to develop these relationships, but just major chains that are uh, have shown interest. You know, buyers have actually shown interest, and in, we've sent samples and pricing. So it's pretty exciting. It could be a, a blessing, you know, to everybody. Well, if people want That's to learn awesome. more about what Tower Beverage is doing and how they could get their own Tower Beverage route, what do they do? Where do you send them? Yeah, basically, the information is on towerbeverage.com. I appreciate that. I mean, uh, distributors, you know, people who want to. Um, purchase routes or get, you know, areas of responsibility to uh, develop. They would uh, basically control that area. And uh, it's uh, towerbeverage.com. I mean, there's a, there's a link there. And they would deal with me personally. I don't have uh, – there's no corporate bureaucracy or red tape like normally associated with big companies. I like to deal directly with my distributors and then help them – you know, launch and get into the chains like that and, right. and help us. So it's about giving back with me. I want the distributors make the money and the charities make the money. You know, there's no, uh, there's no shareholders. It's a privately owned company that I own. And I, I, I built it for this reason to give back to, uh, you know, the, the men and women who, uh, you know, who risk their lives every day for, our right. state, you know, freedom. And that's what it's about. It's not, I don't want the money, you know. I just want to. I want to live, of course, but I don't need hundreds of millions of dollars. I want to give it and help Frank and uh, mm-hmm. Kevin Lynch and Frank Siller, you know, build uh, build these homes and help people, uh, you know, overcome mental illness and uh, prevent uh, suicide prevention. It was really, real important, you know, mental illness for people that are lonely and yeah. alone. A hundred percent. Folks, we're on with Bill Richards. He is the uh, CEO of Tower Beverage. They're doing a lot of work with um, various groups that are helping survivors of, of many different things with uh, great foundations like the um, FDNY Foundation, the Quell Foundation, and, of course, Tunnel to Towers by donating 15% of their sales. And there's a business opportunity there. So check out their website, towerbeverage.com. Bill Richards, you're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. I want to thank you for being with us, and Godspeed to you and everything you're doing. Thank you, Rich. I love you so much, man, and have a, have a great evening. Love you too, brother. God, good luck with everything. God bless. Folks, there's more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more right after this. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-482-5337. For Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. Rich Valdez. 
All right, America, welcome back. It's me, Rich Valdez. I'm here with you straight till 1 a.m. this morning, keeping you company all night long. 866-50-JIMBO is the classic number. You're welcome to give that a call anytime. The legacy line, of course, 8334-VALDEZ is also available to you. I want to uh, open up the phones and go to uh, get some feedback from our callers. Let's go to Fort Worth, Texas, K-L-I-F, and go to Ann. But before we do, there was a comment from Asa Hutchinson at the debate. And uh, I think Ann wants to comment on that. And I think we have a clip of the audio. So we're going to play that audio so that everybody knows what Ann and I are talking about. Go right ahead. Governor Hutchinson, you did not raise your hand. I did not raise my hand because there's an important issue we as a party have to face. And over a year ago, I said that Donald Trump was morally disqualified from being president again as a result of what happened on January 6th. More people are understanding the importance of that, including conservative legal scholars who says he may be disqualified under the 14th Amendment from being president again as a result of the insurrection. This is something that could disqualify him under our rules and under the Constitution. And so, obviously, I'm not going to support somebody who's been convicted of a serious felony or who has dis- is disqualified under our Constitution, and that's consistent with RNC rules, and I hope everybody would right. agree with me. <laughs> he hopes everybody would agree with him. <laughs> Boo! <laughs> I guess they didn't all agree with you, Governor. Anyway, that was uh, Governor Asa Hutchinson. And I got to tell you, what a miscalculation, unless he was intending to get booed, intending to do miserably in the polls, and intending to just, I don't know, really not impress a lot of people, this was a miscalculation on his behalf. Now let's go to Ann in Fort Worth, Texas, KLIF. Go right ahead. Well, I must say that Asa Hutchinson has never impressed me in any way whatsoever, and definitely not as the governor of Arkansas. But being, all that being said, uh, I am in support of Trump uh, in any way possible. Uh, I think any other person up on that stage, if they were president, I don't know how much better off we would be than having a Democrat in office. Right. But uh, according to Asa Hutchinson, apparently, RNC has a rule against uh, anyone that's a convicted felon. Uh, being supported by the RNC to run for office. And right. if that is the case, I, I hopefully none of this will ever actually get to trial before he, before the election comes. Yeah, well, from your lips to God's ears. And this is a, a tough situation that we're in. Uh, I hope the same. But I just think it's it's so interesting. And listen, I I appreciate the diversity of debate. I always do. That's why I always welcome people who want to disagree with me on the show. And I say, hey, put them to the front of the line. However, this is not about differences as much as it is about appealing to the base, right? This is a primary. And in a primary, everybody's saying, I want to be the Republican Party nominee. Not saying I want to be president for everybody just yet. They're saying I want to be the standard bearer for this party. And I feel like that's being lost on some of these people. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's a fight for the soul of the Republican Party. But I feel like that fight happened and, and you know, it happened and ended five years ago. We don't have this issue. I mean, it's clear as day, unless I'm just blind. But the Republican Party, but for Trump, to me, doesn't even exist. 
And this is not me saying that uh, I wouldn't be a Republican if it weren't if Trump weren't a Republican. I'm just saying I don't see where the energy is. I don't see where what's going on with what with anybody else that's on that stage. When when you talk about Republicans, Trump is the de facto leader and he breathed life into this party when he ran and became president and started to rebuild the party. And we saw these robust um, uh, election rallies and reelection rallies. This is something I had never seen in my life. And I don't think anybody else has seen it in most of their lifetime because it's never happened. We didn't have that, but for the Reagan revolution in the 80s. So when we look at someone like Governor Hutchinson saying, look, for your, it's, he's entitled to his opinion and to feel the way he wants to feel. But ultimately, Anne, I feel that he's just in the wrong place. I mean, he's in a party, uh, the Republican Party of 2005, and that was a long time ago. And thank you so much for your kind words and for your words of wisdom here. Folks, we're coming right back. Your calls more and Open Phone America is on its way. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. And I don't know about you, but I can't wait to get on the horn with you guys. Now, there's a bunch of stories I want to talk about, so I am going to work my way through some stories. We have some additional audio I want to get to, but my favorite part of this is connecting with the audience. And I want to encourage you, if you're out in the audience and you're like, I love the show, it's great, I enjoy it. But I never really, you know, I never know what to say. Tonight's your night. Feel free to give us a call. Uh, I'm looking to speak with um, first-time callers. It's always a pleasure to speak with regulars. It's always a a pleasure to speak with first-time callers. But I feel like I don't encourage the first-time callers to call in enough. So that's your invitation. Don't say I never invited you. Now, we're going to get into a bunch of different topics tonight, and I think we're really going to have a good time. And, of course, the number you know it, 833-4-VALDES, 833-482-5337. But I want to get into just a number of really interesting things because, uh, again, we talked a little bit about that story with the guy drinking gasoline. And I thought that was really kind of insane, right? Just absolute insanity that you have that. Then you have the uh, White House recommendations uh, through the um, USDA that we should only be drinking two beers a week. I don't even drink beer, but if I did, I think I might want to drink more than two a week. I mean, come on. There's like two whole days in a weekend. Jeez. Anyway, so we're going to talk about that as well, plus everything else that's on your mind. It's Open Phone America, and it's coming right up. Don't go anywhere. America at Night with me, Rich Valdez, and we're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night 
with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the third hour of the program. We like to call it Open Phone America. Open phones across America is a tradition on this program that goes back to the year I was born, 1978, when Larry King started that, and it was continued by Jim Bohannon for another three decades. And here we are maintaining that tradition with you, the American people, uh, in all of the great, great, great markets that we're in. And uh, this is honestly one of my favorite things to do on this program is just talk with you guys. And I get to kind of go through all the different stories that the producers send my way and that I find, and we can kind of chop them up. And one of them that I'm looking at is this. Majority of Americans disapprove of Biden's handling of immigration. Economy as well. Look at that. And that's uh, the Gallup poll. Now, they, this majority of Americans in a new Gallup poll disapprove of President Biden's handling of immigration, the economy, and relations with China and Russia as he campaigns for another term in the White House. This is according to The Hill. The poll found Biden's overall job approval rating at a relatively steady 42% with 53% disapproving and 5% with no opinion. That, that's a big number, 53% disapproving of how you handle the economy, China, and immigration. And no duh. I mean, I think we've all been saying that, but you know what? I think they thought it was it was political speak. You know, oh, no, these radical right-wingers out there are saying bad things about Biden because they don't like him. No, Biden is breaking America. He's breaking it. You can't have nice things with a guy like Biden around. And that's why this is so crazy. Only 37% approve of his handling of the economy. Just imagine if your boss approved of 37% of your handling of your job. Really, just imagine that. You'd be, I don't know, 63% fired, right? <laughs> uh, unbelievable. Anyway, his, um, his economic rating has ticked up five points since March as the country recovers from stress over the debt ceiling and potential default, which they were able to avoid with a, a deal that wasn't much of a deal. But it's still down 54% from the start of his term. This is no bueno. So... Um, Again, I don't put a ton of stock in polls, but Gallup poll is a pretty reliable poll. And this is not who's going to win the election. This is what people think. And I think when you ask people what they think, like, do you think you're better off today than you were four years ago? What do you think? How, how's he doing on the economy? When you ask those types of questions, you're going to get a much more honest response than people who are still really undecided that, you know, that are swayed by the reports they hear in the media. And I get it. I do understand. I don't agree with it, but I get it. I know when people say, you know, I meet people all the time and they're like, look, you know, they like to talk to me because they're like, oh, you're in talk radio and that's really cool. I'm talking about like when I go to the grocery store or whatever. And they'll they'll say things like, but, you know, the reality is you got one guy that's 70 something, the other guy that's 80. We, we just we, we got to put an end to these old guys. We need something young. Right. And then you get Vivek Ramaswamy. He's young and the guy's only voted in in like two elections. Again, I, I find that to be problematic. You don't participate in the process. And again, I've had him on this show, and I think he's a nice guy, and, and he's a very talented, very talented guy. But I think I, I just don't know enough about him. And, and by his own admission, I guess we give him points for being honest. Absolutely. But it's not that different. You know, if, if he 
if he were to somehow, I guess, make the case, somebody could make the case for him or he could make it himself saying, but that's exactly why we want him. Because like so many Americans, we skip over the, the elections. We skip over things because we're busy working. We're busy doing what matters in real life. Then maybe I could see somebody gravitating towards him and, and his uh, remarkable ability to communicate. But I'm just not sold just yet. I would like to be sold. And, and I think that's, that's a good thing, right? That's what this process of a primary is about, is, is getting to people and getting their ideas. But ultimately, I think the proof is in the pudding. And in this pudding, Joe Biden isn't doing very well. Anyway, let's uh, go to the phones. I want to go to Rod. Rod is in Wichita, Kansas on KQAM. Great station. Rod, welcome to the program. You're on with Rich Valdez. Hey, Mr. Valdez. Can you hear me okay? Let me I hear a lot of noise, but I hear you, brother. Go for it. There. I took you off speakerphone. Now you sound terrific. You sound like you're in the studio with me. What's on your mind, Rod? <laughs> well, you know, I'm a big fan of your show. I tried and tried for years to get through to uh, Larry King. I never did, but I was able to talk to Mr. Bohannon about three or four times, so that makes like once every decade. And this is the first time I've tried you, and I heard your call for more first-time callers. Well, I'm so, so glad that you took heed to the call and that you're with us tonight, Rod. And, and thank you, sir. It's, uh, it's an honor. And you're, an, you're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. Oh, you're kind. You're very kind. Well, what I wanted to share, and I told your call screener, um, I don't know how old he was, but he surely remembers uh, September 11, 2001, as you probably do, too. Yes, of course. I was in New York. What I wanted to ask you, do you think this is a conspiracy theory or just coincidence that on 9-11, my local newspaper had 19 mug shots, and I think that there was supposed to be 20, but one of them didn't make the cut. I might have been Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who's still at Gitmo, if I remember correctly. Yes. However, it happened again yesterday with Mr. Trump above the fold and 18 co-defendants. So is that a coincidence, or is hmm. there some kind of conspiracy behind that number 19? Rod, I tell you, uh, I, I don't know if it's a conspiracy, but I would say as a marketing person, if I were advising President Biden and the Democrats, I would say, do you remember that iconic photo of 19 hijackers on the cover of every newspaper in America? Let's recreate that. And then let's echo that with the talking heads in the left-wing media so that we can emphasize that. And I think you're, you're noticing something that I definitely did not notice because I, I didn't see the papers. I saw the local papers today in New York, the uh, Daily News and the New York Post, and they always have competing headlines that are diametrically opposed. And, and, and they just had Trump on the cover. But the 19... That's fascinating and it's such a great observation because, again, people don't even know who those people are, right? And for, for, from, from my perspective, 
they're all being indicted just to have a package deal here, right? To just say, look, no, it's Trump, it's Giuliani, it's Jenna Ellis, it's every last lawyer he had, it's every last everything he had. And, you know, anything that he touches is is somehow corrupt. And that's, they're, they're trying to create this illusion of an actual uh, racketeering situation, right? That there's an actual RICO case here. When, again, in my opinion, not on their not on their best day are they going to be able to prove that these people colluded somehow together with one another. But again, this is how prosecutors work, and they they will try to put the pressure that they have to on these people to get them to fold or do this or say we're going to charge you with this, but we could let you off with this if you just agree to cooperate and say this. And and it's it's just fascinating to me that this is happening. But what an an amazing um, observation that you made because yeah yeah when was the last time you saw nineteen people on the cover of the paper? 9-11. Great point, Rod. Now, what's going on in Wichita? 22 years. Well, uh, <laughs> I told the salesman at the store that I looked at USA Today, that picture of Mr. Trump is so iconic that I think they ought to chisel Teddy Roosevelt off of Mount Rushmore and put that there. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. I doubt that's going to happen, but uh, it's uh, it's just fascinating that that it's happening, and it has been all over the news. I've seen the the nineteen faces, uh, but mainly the 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 main face is Trump, and uh, I think they're describing it as an evil stare and a scowl. And uh, I, I got to tell you, I can't get enough of it. Uh, he he knows how to turn uh, lemons into lemonade for sure, Rod. Well, thank you for taking my call, Rich, and I'll keep listening. Well, thank you for, for calling in. I appreciate it. It's good to hear your voice and to hear from uh, our callers in Wichita, Kansas, on KQAM. Great station, by the way. And, uh, folks, there is more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more when we return. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Rich Valdez, who, again, will do a fine job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to it. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. And I must say... I question the marketing of that mugshot because what you're doing is, you know, for everybody that wears one of those T-shirts, there's going to be a former Republican or a moderate Republican or an independent swing voter in swing states, suburban voter who's going to see that. And it's just a reminder why they don't want to send a guy who's probably going to be convict by by the election. Why they don't want to send a convict to the White House. Well, you don't want to send a cover. That is Joe Scarborough, everybody. You know him. Uh, he's the host of The Morning Joke on MSNBC. And Scarborough, he's a, 
I don't know. I'm going to call him a malcontent, right? Because I really feel that that's what he is. I'm not a malcontent. I, I make fun of people all day on the radio, right? The people I, you know, Joel Baoso Biden, que mala eres. I make fun of everybody. I'm not a malcontent. I'm a very happy guy. But he's like always a sourpuss in, in his uh, commentary. He's just always so bent out of sorts. And I'm not, I, I get bent out of sorts at the issues, but, you know, I'm a relatively happy guy. But anyway, let us um, go to the phones to talk about these mugshots. Because is the mugshot really going to be the um, the end all and do all. Plus, I want to get into climate change again and all that. But let's go to our resident historian on the program, Bill in Jefferson City, Missouri, KTTR. Go right ahead, Bill. Welcome. Yes, sir. I uh, I'd like to take us back to 1977 and uh, Albuquerque. It's a year before I was born. Yeah, well, I, this is ancient history for a lot of people, but I was there. And I had some people that I worked with that worked with a young fellow uh, uh, by the name of Bill Gates, millionaire today at Microsoft. And uh, there's a really fine uh, mugshot of him because he was a kind of a nerdy guy and he had frizzy hair, but he (laughs) forgot to take his – he had no driver's license. And so the wonderful Albuquerque police – arrested him and took a great mugshot of him. And I think you can even today on eBay get a, uh, a shower curtain with his <laughs> smiling <laughs> face on. <laughs> I just thought that was... That's funny. Uh, you know, I, uh, one of my lawyer friends, we were talking today about a uh, lady lawyer uh, who uh, uh, was at the convention. It, it, she's a Republican, so uh, uh, she was saying she liked uh, Trump's the angle at which Trump was looking. She thought that was unusual, and so anyway, she enjoyed the uh, the convention up there in Milwaukee. So anyway, that's that's my thought for the day. Well, you know, I'm wondering if there's also an autographed Bill Gates uh, shower curtain of his mugshot on eBay because you can find just about everything on eBay and an autographed everything on eBay. Bill, what's your thought on on the Trump mugshot? Do you think this it hurts him? Does it help him? Is are you indifferent to it? What's your story? Uh, I'm kind of indifferent. I uh, uh, it was an interest. You know, I didn't watch the convention live, but uh, I you know we we did a good job of uh, in here in Jefferson City and uh, Mid Missouri discussing it, and uh, the lawyer from uh, Jefferson City uh, or Ashland actually. Uh, uh, really painted a, a good picture of the importance of being in the uh, arena there, now, even well, without Trump. Being the resident historian here on the program, I, I wonder, um, do you see the historical significance of a, a former president being indicted and having a mugshot circulate all over the place? Or is that lost? Uh, I, it's too close to call. I, you know, it's I don't know particularly uh, right at instant time yeah. will tell though right right yeah i i think it's quite remarkable and and it, it's just uh, an interesting thing for me whether people like trump or not i'm just I, I feel like i never thought i would be alive to see something like this happen i really didn't think that was ever going to be the case uh but it's an interesting shift in in our in our course of events in the United States and our public discourse, to say the least. Bill in Jefferson City, Missouri, KTTR, our resident historian. Thank you, sir. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot, and I thank you for the call. We continue with Julian. 
Julian is in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, on the oldest radio station in America, KDKA. Julian, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hey, Rich. Hey, uh, thanks for taking the call. I was tuning in, listening to you guys. I love the the thought-provoking conversation, all types of perspectives here. And uh, I I just like that. So I I had a question. I I wanted to ask you one question, but I... um, I kind of changed my mind as I'm as I'm sitting here listening. Sure. I'm wondering about what you what are your thoughts on the the social fabric of the nation and how that's going to repair itself in the coming years and decades. I mean, say like you know Trump gets in again, or it doesn't it doesn't seem to matter whether Trump's in office or out of office. There is a disruption that that goes on. Um, maybe that's pushed by the, you know, specifically left-wing media outlets, but there's this chaos and disruption that comes from this, like, civil unrest, um, and maybe they're just the loudest voices. Maybe there is a, a huge silent majority here that's okay with Trump and that's okay with all of the implications of him. But how do you see the country repairing itself? Uh, and, and especially if there is another four years of Trump, how do you see civil unrest and, and what the left-wing media's new tactics will be and how divisive that will, you know, those divisive means will, what, what will that destination end up for all of us? This is a very good question. A very good question. And I've got a minute left to answer it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to restate the question to make sure I understood it. And then when we come back from the break, I'm going to keep you on hold and then we'll resume. But it sounds like the first part of the question is my initial thoughts on the social fabric of the country. And I have significant thoughts on that. And then more so, how do we get back to where we once were or at least repair the damage that's been done? Very good question. And it's one that I often ask myself. So... Julian, stick with us. We're going to come right back to you, and then we'll get into our other topic on the farmer. But um, I love the question, and I want to have the discussion. Folks, 833-482-5337. Get your calls in before we wrap up for the night. I'm here with you till 1 a.m., keeping you company all night long uh, for another half hour. So make sure you do it. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. We're coming right back, and I'm going to answer that question. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. And before the pause, we were faced with a question from a first-time caller named Julian from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on KDKA, America's oldest radio station. And his question was, you know, given my thoughts on the social fabric in America and, you know, whether there's decline or not, and then part B was how do we get, how do we get past that? How do we repair it? And, you know, given 
whether Trump is reelected or not, whatever. And I thought it was a very, very, very good question because it's one I ask myself all the time, Julian. And I guess I'll start with saying times change. And I realize that times change and to make a very short but interesting analogy, you know, I once saw this report on the ice box and how people used to have ice boxes in their homes. And we don't have ice boxes in our homes anymore because we have refrigerators. But there was an entire industry that dissipated because people no longer had to come around with ice on the back of a truck and deliver ice blocks to people's ice boxes. And people thought it was the end of the world. But here we are with electronic or electric, I should say, refrigeration. And the world's a better place without the ice box, right? So sometimes change is really good, but it's tough to swallow and it doesn't it doesn't come cheap right it comes at a cost i don't think the change that we're undergoing right now is necessarily a positive change but the the change that we've had is really i'd say at the moral fabric right i think there's there's been a, a moral decay a moral rot that has taken root in america in terms of morality, there's a lot of people that are great atheists, great agnostics, great, um, you know, um, great people that could care less about, about God and faith, and in many ways, even country. But they're good people, and they don't want to kill anybody. However, that's a very small majority, and there's a lot of them that are willing to be activists for their cause, just like I'm an activist for my cause. And I believe they've won a big part of the fight. That doesn't mean they're the majority of the people that are out there, but they're the majority of the people making noise. They're the majority of the people in positions of, of influence, whether it's corporate boards, whether it's um, the, the mainstream media, um, cable news, et cetera, major newspapers. For example, Washington Post said that Ron DeSantis was the hands-down winner of the debate on Tuesday night. I like Ron DeSantis. I think he's a very skilled politician and an amazing governor. He's an amazing patriot. I don't think he won the debate by any stretch. But that's what they were reporting. So my point is, I think we've, we've lost our relationship with the truth. We've lost our relationship with doing the right thing, by and large, in society. We're seeing people rob anything they feel like robbing whenever they feel like robbing it. And we're seeing those that are entrusted with upholding the law not enforcing the law because of whatever political or social purpose uh, they have, but they're not doing it. I call them the pro-crime progressive prosecutors. So ultimately, we're in a place where we have this moral decay in, in the fabric of our society. And, and it's, it's lamentable, but I don't think it's permanent because I believe that in 2000, I don't know, 14, let's say, in 2014, I never would have imagined that you would get a bunch of America-loving conservatives, not conservatives, whatever, people that loved America and wanted to put America first, enough of them to fill up stadium after stadium after arena after arena in support of a movement, which was, I think, once the Tea Party movement is now is called the MAGA movement. I didn't think that was coming, but that in and of itself was a, a revival right? A, a revival in, in the body politic, a revival in the fabric of our society, wanting to do more, wanting to do better. So as we've seen that happen, I think there's more of an opportunity for that. 
And we can credit Trump with part of it, but I think it's really, that's what's in people's hearts. That's what people want. And he was just a messenger that they believed in. And he was somebody that was able to deliver the message. So they got behind him, but the, it doesn't change their desire. People want to live in a place that's safe, that has a rule of law, that has safe borders, that, that has a country that's acting responsibly on its foreign policy. And I think that's the reason I have hope. I believe that the majority of people in this country are not stupid. The majority of people in this country have uh, a willingness to make this country better and to leave a better country to their children or the children of their neighbors if they don't even have children. But I think most people want to do the right thing. And because of that, I think there is hope. But it's not going to be easy to get there because we're up against a lot of squeaky wheels. And like the old saying goes, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. So I think, excellent question. And I think part of the way of getting there politically is to elect somebody that's going to fight the status quo. And I think that person is, is very likely Donald Trump. I mean, I, I can't see anybody else that's willing to take on that fight. Nobody else from, from his um, challengers really um, voices that, maybe Larry Elder, uh, the way he does. And, and I think that's, that's an important part of it. But then there's also the part of, of us as people you know, there's all this talk about mask mandates and whatnot that are coming back in certain areas. And again, if that's going to help you, but I don't think it's going to help you because we found out after COVID that even the N95 mask, if there's not double-sided tape and there's not whatever, that the the COVID virus is so thin that it can pass through one of these masks if they're not super secure. So if you're wearing the regular little blue mask or a bandana on your face, you're doing absolutely nothing. So the mandate is pointless. And this is, again, according to the World Health Organization and the CDC, not me. So just making that example, I think people are now willing to stand up. People are becoming more informed. And Reagan said, we have to be informed patriots. And I believe that. So I think, yes, we can get better. The situation is, I wouldn't say dire, but it's becoming dire. And we can get away from it and we can improve, but it's going to take a lot of work and it's literally like a tug of war and you better hope that you have more people on your side of that tug of war than the other side, but it's that close. Julian. Hey. Yeah, I, I love, I love the man. I think that um, a, a bit of what you can attribute moral decay to is uh, it's heavily influenced media. I mean, not just talking of like social media itself, because we're always putting like Julian. You're cutting in and out. I'm sorry. I, I um, maybe we can get you fixed on on your line. Uh, but yeah, I hear what you're saying. The media, social media, and and that's exactly it. But the other side of that is there's media and social media that can carry uh, the the opposing cause, and I think it it really becomes a matter of how much are you willing to do? How badly do you want to save your country? What are you willing to do? Is it have more kids? Is it uh, influence your neighbor and your neighbor's kids? Is it, I mean, everybody has a role. I, I do my thing on the radio and this works well for me and I do it on TV sometimes when I'm able to and in real life if I go to like a rally or something. I, I, try, to, I try to do the best that I can, uh, but everybody has a different role. Some people are, you know, I, I have a brother who doesn't do any of these things that I do and he's probably had more conversations with people. He's like an evangelist for the truth, you know, and, and he's not talking about God per se. He's just talking about his experiences being 10 years older than me and saying, you know, when I was a kid, we did things this way. And all of a sudden today, this is the norm. How do we get here? 
And he just points out the obvious to a lot of people, and he sparks these conversations that are really thought-provoking. And he enjoys it, and he's really good at it. And and I think everybody has a lane, and everybody's got to pick their lane so that they can figure out what's the best way that I can do what's best for America. And once we do, we need to do that and do it and do it again. Julian, thanks for your call. I appreciate it. Folks, we got calls from North Carolina, Michigan, and Maine coming up. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. We've got calls from all over the country, absolutely everywhere. And we're going to get to as many calls as we can. Let us go to Allison. Portland, Maine, WLOB. Allison, go right ahead. Oh, hi, it's me again. Um, yeah, tonight I just would like to talk about Mr. Trump pretty much because sure. um, I'm a huge supporter of him. I've called before. I'll just do a quick thing, if I may. I've called before, you know, about being trans and everything. And I just yeah, I remember. One thing, yeah, I said one thing last time, and it was a little probably misleading. I said uh, I wouldn't wish being trans on somebody else. And I didn't mean by that, I didn't mean that I, do, I didn't want to, wish I hadn't gone through what I did, because I absolutely had to. What I meant was, I'd just been a regular girl, and I know that's all I meant. Nobody cares about my exploits, but maybe they listen to your show and whatever. Follow right. it. Right, no, anyway, I, I this, understood it, just to share with you, I understood it as, it doesn't come easily, and it was something you felt you had to do, and that you wouldn't wish it on someone, because it came with, with trials and tribulations, and, and I understood that part of it. I didn't understand uh, regret, that wasn't what I took away from it. Thank you so much. Anyway, Mr. Trump, I'm a huge supporter. I voted for him in 16 and 20, and um, I was wearing a MAGA hat around here, and this is Portland, Maine, and it's pretty liberal. And in some ways, yeah. I don't mind that, you know, I mean, um, but in other ways, uh, you know, I got some pretty bad uh, shouting matches with people. Um, but the thing <laughs> is, uh, you know... Um, Go uh, figure, right? Here, no, honestly, though, imagine that. You have, you have a trans woman that's wearing a MAGA hat, getting into a shouting match with intolerant people. That's just crazy, but go right ahead. Yeah, there you go. Uh, that's the trouble with intolerance. is such a big part of the bad things. Anyway, so, you know, I just, to me, metaphorically, this is kind of weird. I never actually read the book. I should have Gulliver's Travels. But, you know, I, I saw the, there was a movie in the 60s, and I just, you know, everybody knows the basics of it. And there's a thing about when he lands on Lilliput or whatever, and they tie him up, the little tiny Lilliputians, and they tie him up with, what to them are big ropes, and really, but they're really just little tiny strings and then he rises up and he knocks them off and 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 that's it and to me i feel that's like what they're doing with him with all these absurd 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 legal cases and um i i just find it depressing on one level but but then again i mean i just i i'm so proud of him for the way he's handling all this and everything you know and um i mean i don't you know i don't agree with everything he's done and everything he said i mean you know if, if you ever found somebody like that a leader that would be totally bizarre um but uh president or whatever but but mm -hmm. i mean i just 
I've supported most of what he says. And, uh, what and, do you, you know, think of like what's a, going on with him this week? Oh, well, I... I think it's it's just awful. This is the, the the most. I mean, I don't know. It's hard. You got to choose which is the most absurd one of these cases, right? Yeah. But to then not only go after Mr. Trump for the for for, for the things he was just free speech and everything and things he was trying to do, which of course the Democrats do all the time to try to say, oh, the, the election's unfair and the the right. you know the candidate's illegitimate. But then to go to go after Rudy Giuliani and all these other people, all these other people that that were just on his, you know, working with him when he was the president. I mean, it's just unbelievable. It's just, I mean, these, I, I mean, I'm not a lawyer by any means, nor do I play one on TV. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Allison. I, I, I pretend to be one every now and again, but it's radio, so that's allowed. <laughs> I'm kidding. But you're right. And I think it's really bizarre. Each and every one of these cases is bizarre if you, if you follow it. But they do it in a way where it, it makes sense. Today I saw a friend of mine who had actually stopped talking to me. Um, this is a guy who I mentored when I was a barber, and he had told me off on Facebook or something. I can't believe you've sold out, blah, 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 all this stuff. And then he apologized, and you know he had a come-to-Jesus moment, and I'm glad he did. But still today on his feed, uh, as I was scrolling through Facebook, I saw he was absolutely ecstatic doing cartwheels that they're putting this you know POS in jail and blah, 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 and he's going to prison and he's going to rot and blah, 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 and all these things. And I just thought it, there's just a, a – I, I'm – I'm not one of those people that wants, I want accountability, I want justice, but I, I will sleep just fine if Biden never goes to jail, because I realize there's a lot of corruption in our politics, and what I do think is he should be out of office, he shouldn't be in charge of everything he's in charge of. It would be great to put him in jail, but I think it's it's just a stretch, uh, and maybe I'm part of the problem in, doing, in saying that, but I, I just, I don't wish that upon anybody. Lamentably, the... The case that we have right now is that they're just going after Trump. I've seen comments on some of these things where they posted the mugshot celebrating it. People saying indictment in prison is not enough. We need to see him in a body bag. And I said, oh, my goodness, this is this is just not good. You know, whether it's me saying it about Biden or anybody else saying it, we shouldn't be saying stuff like that. Allison, great point. Thanks for your call. Folks, getting to the rest of your calls in the speed round right after this. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, it's the speed round, so keep it very short, very brief, because there's other people waiting to get on. Let's go to Tom, Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead, Tom. Okay, I'm brief here. How can Republicans win this next election when many of the states have not changed their voting laws? They're still going to allow all the mail-in ballots. It's a great point. The only thing I could say to that is, there were only six states where we had a, a, a serious problem with mail-in ballots uh, that we focused on, right? Uh, Pennsylvania, uh, Wisconsin, uh, and, and others. Many of those states have addressed their issues. So I would not expect this to be the case again. We're also not in the middle of a pandemic where they're going to be able to kind of circumvent the rules. And in the last one, the Trump team made an effort to try to address what was going on in Pennsylvania, but where they got caught up on a technicality called latches, which probably was unfair at the time, uh, a legal technicality. 
but they've gone through that now and the rules have been changed in Pennsylvania. So I think they're, they have the legal team and the legal apparatus in place to make sure that we're not going to have illegal mail-in ballots the way we did in the 2020 election. And I think that's going to be very significant, Tom. Thanks for your call. I appreciate it. Great thinking, by the way. Let's go to the middle of the country. Ken, Lansing, Michigan, W-I-L-S. There's tornadoes in Michigan. Ken, what's going on? Yeah, I had a tornado come through my backyard and rip half of one of my big trees down last night. So Wow. Yes, are you all right? Are your neighbors all right? I'm all right, but I literally had uh, wind and rain hit the back of my house. I've lived here 11 years, and I've never heard it like that before. I was about ready to crawl underneath my table. But, uh, wow. Wow. Uh, wow. Rich, I absolutely love your guests. They're so informative, and buddy, you're you're the tops at doing that. But I want to thank you. Ask you a serious question about your first guest. With the statistics that he had of the bellwether counties in this country going to Donald Trump, thirty-four hundred counties, and Joe Biden won four hundred out of thirty-four. Donald Trump had eleven million more votes in his reelection, and Obama and Bush had less than their second. Could you please answer that for me? Yeah, listen, uh, Kevin McCullough is one of the best at this stuff, and uh, he's he's spot on. And this is part of why Trump was saying it's rigged, folks, it's rigged, because he saw a massive discrepancy. And and I think many people did. Uh, McCullough is better at laying out those facts than many others because he didn't say stolen. He didn't say rigged. He put the facts out there. And I think when you put the facts out there, people hear it and they go, wow, that makes a lot of sense. So what ends up happening is we realize, okay, I am going to, um, you know, discard what you're saying because you're saying stolen and rigged and this and that. And we have to have that conversation responsibly that way. And I agree. This was definitely a jacked up election because of all of those reasons. Ken, I appreciate your call. Uh, Larry, quickly, Newport, North Carolina, WTKF. Hey, Rich. The, the, the deal is electoral votes. If you people in New York would quit BSing around and, and don't support your home guy, I mean, the people in Georgia want to throw his ass in jail. <laughs> You're right, Larry. This is a problem. And it's hard to win in the home on in the home turf because it's incredibly blue, New York, New Jersey, uh, a lot of these states. So, But you're, you bring up a good point, and you're solid. Melissa in North Bergen on WFAS, I'm sorry we couldn't get to you because the music means I got to go. Folks, take care, good night, and God bless. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, I am Rich Valdez, and we're going to do it again Monday, God willing. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.